Persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones, and I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, we're at it again on. This is not Friday Night Lights. This is Good Friday. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, uh, we're recording during the daytime. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wish all of you observing this day uh, a meaningful one and reflecting on um, Christ's suffering, on the suffering of the world. Yeah, it's it's um, not without uh, divine irony. I was going to say divine comedy, but. In the classic sense, not in the funny sense that, uh, you know, we dropped the mother of all bombs the other day. Um, and uh, we want to give you not fake news. Uh, there's been It's been widely reported that the bomb costs $314 million or $316 million. That actually was the uh, – we got a deal. That was for 20 of them. So uh, the bomb only cost $16 million, one of them. So uh, – so it's not that expensive to replace with the cuts and right as to, long as to uh, after school programs and stuff. Right, can, so they used sixteen um, one bomb. sixteen million dollars killed. Uh, I saw what uh, uh, making America great again. Uh, a sixteen million dollar bomb just bought us a hundred and uh, or fifteen hundred more terrorists. <laughs> you know, recruited a hundred you know, fifteen hundred more terrorists. But any rate, uh, the best part of that story though was that where he said. You know, they're asking how, how it went down. I said, well, President Xi and I are having dessert after dinner at Mar-a-Lago, and, and they brought us the most beautiful p- chocolate cake, and President Xi was enjoying it, I could tell. And then the generals came. They, they got the message from the generals, and uh, the generals said uh, that uh, they, they, they it conveyed to me, should, is, you know, do, do we have the go-ahead? I give them the go-ahead, and I said, President Xi, as he's enjoying his chocolate cake, very much, very much enjoying it, I said we just launched uh, fifty nine missiles at, uh, at Iraq, and the interviewer goes, "Syria, yeah, Syria, right?" right. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, the health inspectors hit Mar-a-Lago yeah, kitchen, and it was like twenty violations or something. Dessert so, diplomacy. Dessert diplomacy. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's not that's not good when you have that many. Uh, they can catch that many. I mean, again, these sometimes these uh, having uh, sons in the restaurant and catering business. Um, they sometimes they crawl on their hands and knees looking for stuff, but twenty is a lot. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say that that's that's uh, yeah. It's not yeah. Not significant. So, and you know, it's funny. It's I mean, again, I think the cruiser making its way to the waters off of North Korea is to be a symbolic show of force. But um, we kind of live in a state of denial on how. Well, the people living in Seoul, Korea, are not in a state of denial right now because. You know, if something happens, thousands of them die within a half an hour just because of the massive launch that North Korea would have at them. I mean, they're in Seoul, Korea is not that far from the from the border. But we just kind of go on. We don't think so much about this world that continues to uh, find new ways to crucify itself and each other. So it's uh, an appropriate sobering thought on this day where we uh, where we think about the death of Jesus of Nazareth. 
It is. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think are, is often talked about is the events of the crucifixion and the events of the resurrection. So, I mean, in this weekend of the tritium, you know, the, uh, the three days uh, that we celebrate the passion of Christ. But something that's almost never talked about is Holy Saturday. Not in most traditions. I mean, the um, there's the great vigil, which is both in the Orthodox Church and in the Episcopal Church, but most of us don't uh, talk about Saturday. I've heard Saturday. some Orthodox churches observe it, but part of the liturgy is they spit on the ground and stomp because Jesus is victoriously preaching on Holy Saturday to the huh. spirits in prison and victorious over the devil and his minions. And so the idea is that you celebrate it sort of in union with Christ and as victor, which right. it would actually, there's, I think there's kind of three views on this historically, that what's happening in between death and resurrection, the first view is sort of the patristic view. And, it, and somebody wrote an article defending it in First Things recently over against von Balthasar. And that's the idea that Christ's death, because so much of the early Eastern tradition sees our, our problem is mainly as death. So because we... In the Eastern tradition. Yeah, in, yeah. in, in the patristic speak, we, we, we are sort of embodied souls right. that are mortal because of sin. And so what we need... Or because of creation. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're. I mean, where mortality could be was inherently maybe part of the machine. I'm thinking yeah. of Irenaeus. So Christ yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah Irenaeus, I think, is not. I would not put in this camp either. Okay. I, I think Irenaeus yeah. actually uh, is somebody that is not as as influenced by Middle Platonism Neopla- as as some of the. Okay, I interrupt you. I'm sorry. Go it's ahead. okay. No, it's. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the, this idea that the real problem is death. Right. And so Jesus, in swallowing up death has already kind of won the victory. Right, right. So that, you know, the that the second view would be something more represented by Bart and Calvin. You can find it elsewhere in the tradition. But uh, the, actually, the descent is uh, not literally into hell, but it's death. It, it's suffering death in God abandonment. It's suffering. Right. Uh, it's actually dying a human death in hell as a metaphor. Calvin thinks this is like silly to think that Christ is running around that right. in First Peter, you know the reference that right. he's preaching, preaching to, the to the captives in prison, yeah. and they, they think that's you got know, demythologize that, and he's just really uh, dying, uh, you know, the, a death that is fit for sinners and right. uh, God abandonment. Now, the third view that's a minority minority view uh, is von Balthasar's, and von Balthasar's is that he Christ literally descends into hell. That that. Part of the suffering is suffering uh, not just a passive death in God abandonment, but perdition, that um, Christ actually experiences perdition for us hmm. uh, in, in representative substitution for us. And so, you know, Christ, you know, I think what this has in common with the second view is that, like, Christ, if, he's, if there's any activity, it's, it's active passivity. It's, 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 right. it's, it's literally passe, passion, it's being suffered right. upon. But von Balthasar, you know, he, if, for him, hell is a Christological concept. And the only person we can say that's been to hell is Christ. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of power to that. Uh, you know, this it's called uh, one of the great images that's associated with the first view uh, in the early church is the harrowing of hell. And uh, it's, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase multiple patristic sermons here, but basically um, the devil is leading Jesus down. 
and Hades is personified. So the devil has Jesus silently and passively in chains. I mean, he's already died. And the devil comes up and says, look, look who we got. We got him. And Hades, you know, who's guarding the gates of death, said, no, I don't think we should bring him in here. And, and there's this kind of, it's almost this comic dialogue. No, the devil, we won. We beat, we beat God. And Hades going, I just don't think it's a good idea to bring him in here. So they, you know, they passively bring, you know, the, the dead Christ into Hades. And as soon as he steps into Hades, uh, all heaven breaks out, you know, and he, you know, death is destroyed. And, and in some of the sermons they have Hades, the last thing Hades says to the devil is, I told you we shouldn't have let him in. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually, that sort of stuff is actually one of the reasons Anselm in like, it's the 11th century, right? Wrote, um, Cura Deus Homo. Yeah, because he, he was a demythologizer. Right. I and mean, he just thought all these guys sort of, you know, the idea is some patristics say, it's like a fish hook. And you know, bait and Jesus is the bait and the devil swallows right. it, but gets swallowed. It's all this sort of he's like, This is this just can't philosophically, theologically be true. Like the devil can't have a claim on God and this this kind of so you know, his view of substitution, which is not quite I wouldn't say penal substitution, it is substitution, right. but um because for Anselm it's not it's not satisfaction through punishment or suffering, it's sort of satisfaction or punishment. Um yeah, so it can't yeah. So, but I think what, what's interesting... By the way, you like your Jesus wearing a tuxedo t-shirt? <laughs> yeah, I do. I like my Jesus kicking the hell out of death. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could lead people in stomping me. Uh, I, I, I think I'm going to go write a country song, country gospel song, Jesus kicked the hell out of death. I like that. I like that too. Scare the hell out of it. Uh, so I think that if, if the first, if the patristic view, the first view, I think what that, that actually does is folds Holy Saturday into um, Easter. So the victory sort of starts. So the Saturday is sort of, right. there's really just a move from, from Friday to Sunday. I think the second view kind of does the opposite. It extends the cross. And the, the, and the second, third view, you could argue, kind of does this in a different way, a more mystical way. But those views sort of tend to um, take Saturday and, and extend the, the Passion on Friday. Yeah, so I, I think. Like, well, you know, it's, I've often thought, okay, um, you know, those of us who grew up Protestants, if you have a cross, it's an empty cross for the most part uh, in the front of your sanctuary. In fact, I, I was in a church where uh, someone made a donation, so us adding a cross to the front of the sanctuary was controversial, um, but it went in and people liked it. Um, and and to me, the mythology of an empty cross and a mythology, and I, again, I'm using mythology. All right, this should get some of uh, we'll get some of our uh, conservative trolls back on what I'm about to say here. So, but you like that when they? When I love they, it. Yeah. I love it. But I do think there's something true about both images. I mean, the image of uh, to me, the image of a, of the crucifix with Christ on the cross in front of your church does kind of remind you something of the mystery of Balthazar. You know, I mean, I think in a sense that as long as the world is going through hell, as long as there is suffering in this world, as long as there is death. Um, there is an active crucifixion of Christ going on in a real way. That doesn't mean the work is not complete. Uh, we've said this before. If someone asks you as a Christian when you were saved, you tell them about 30 AD around then or before the foundations of time. You can go either way with that. But um, but I do think there's something that, that um, you know, whatever the ground zero of your life is, I, I think uh, Christ uh, was there. Um, I am um, uh, – this is – Hopefully, it'll be published in the future, um, a future edition of a magazine. I read an article, and um, 
that um, I was involved in a tragedy, uh, ministering to people who had lost their daughter. And after the funeral, um, he came to me maybe three or four weeks later and had this reoccurring nightmare where uh, he saw his daughter dying. She died with six, five other girls in this car accident. It was horrendous. Uh, and uh, in the dream, he sees her dying, but she's alone, and he's haunted by this nightmare. Hmm. And he came to me, and he was not a person of faith. Matter of fact, he was a, you know, he was ethnically a Jew, but he never practiced anything. And I said, "Well, I believe because of God's love and because of the crucifixion of God that no one dies alone." That hmm. uh, and uh, and that um, he he stopped having nightmares after that. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. I think I couldn't find the exact reference, but. I'm pretty sure Bart says this in volume four on the dogmatics. He says, you know, Christian life, this Holy Saturday, you know, it, it, there's something analogous in it to the first and second parousias of Christ, the first and second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, something like all of Christianity, the Christian life is a life lived between death and resurrection, between the first and second advent of Christ. So I think there's something very profound to that because we're always, I mean, it's like you're saying, there's a sense in which we've been saved, you know, yeah, yeah 80, 30. Yeah. There's a sense we are being saved. That Absolutely. There, that, that God is... And that's probably the tense that's most common in the New Testament about the the act of part of we're being saved. Yeah, and then there's a, and then we will be saved. Yeah, I mean, there's more, a, Or that might be the most... The yeah, there's this future the, hope. Yeah. That, so the salvation is three tenses and... Yeah. Um, it's right. There's a great book on this. Uh, it's a big, thick book written by Alan Lewis, who's a Reformed theologian. He actually wrote it. It's it's on Holy Saturday, and mm. he wrote it while he's dying of cancer. Wow! And in it, um, he has this, this. There's so many good quotes, and he says, "In summary, the complex, multiple meaning of the story will only emerge as we hold in tension what the cross says on its own, what the resurrection says on its own, and what each of them says when interpreted in the light of the other. It would not be impossible." to graph the entire history of church doctrine and life by plotting the interpretations which have failed to give due weight to one or the other of these essentials in the story by which and for which the community lives. We might discover that the second day, which serves both to keep the first and the third days apart in their separate identities and to unite them in their indivisibility, offers a useful stance from which to make one more effort at a properly multivocal stereophonic hearing of the gospel story. Wow, that's powerful. You know, it's interesting, too. I mean, it's funny how all this speculation about something that the Bible is remarkably silent on. Matter of fact, you can even get to all kinds of weirdness about trying to figure out the timetable, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, the yeah. Three, yeah. I, saw a, I saw a post today from the Gospel Coalition site about sort of like this guy offering a timeline of Good Friday's events. And he was saying, you know, these sort of events that could pop up in your iPhone calendar. I mean, different and he's uh, like, uh, yeah. it's just, it is, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, interesting is not the word that came to my mind with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I, little, I always love those Christians who spend a lot of effort into things that absolutely are totally speculative and uh, do not help us at all. But thank you anyway for doing that for us. And <laughs> 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 yeah. So I just think, I do think there's something about, you know, Something I was reading something about Holy Saturday, and the author is saying that um, part of Jesus' death and God abandoning is suffering uh, is is suffering for the patience of God. I mean, right. suffering the death and God abandoning. It's, it's interesting that the the human story of sin is so much is a story 
at least in the opening chapters of Genesis, of human impatience, hmm. of not being willing to wait Wife. to receive wisdom and discernment. You know, Bart talks about how the Gospels could be read as a story of the judge judged in our place. And by judge, he means like basically all of human life is a life lived desiring to be the judge. Like this is good for me. This is bad for me. You're good. You're bad. Like we all want to make judgments about what's meaningful, what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. And that Jesus is the only one who's a fitting judge who, and and he's judged in our place. And so this sort of, he's judged and is the expression of divine patience as as a response to, a rebellious human impatience. Right. And, and I do think in many ways um, we have to think about, you know, I, I think Donald Trump is a parable. Of, <laughs> I, of, that's, that's the best sentence. I think Donald Trump is a parable of. Of, of the uncontrolled human id. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's a reflection, you know, uh, Lincoln and, and Obama used to quote Lincoln on, we should follow our better angels. Well, we're getting a picture of what our darker angels look like. But I think, um, I think there's something of it that of that that is in all of us, and I love when you're talking about this patience. Again, we we've talked a lot about our uh, brother Thomas Halik, but um, this idea he says of you know both atheism and fundamentalism are primarily a failure of patience. Both of them are trying to fill in the blanks uh, too soon and looking for certainty where there should be patience and and awaiting. And I think that's that's an interesting this idea of. Of the silence, if you would, between Friday or between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or depending which version of the gospel you read, whatever the last word is. And one of them is just there is no last word. He just dies, which, you know, I'm not going to – we talked about historical Jesus, but, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so there's a silence, if you would, and that even into the the radical mystery of what happens on Easter. I mean uh, – you know, the temptation, there's a, it's an interesting, I don't know what you're going through, but there are all kinds of different, I find, temptations on preaching the Easter sermon, and I'm uh, I'm looking at all of them. That's not what this podcast is about, but maybe sometime we should do that. Um, but this idea of us thinking about what it means, this, this silence in the face of death and evil, that the silence between suffering, death, and evil, and a hope that that's not the final word. Um I'm reminded of a story where, where there was this really lovely man who was a beautiful person. Everyone loved him. He was the most beloved school teacher uh, in the school district. As a matter of fact, you know, lots of people said they became teachers because they were inspired by this guy. And he he died. Uh, he fought pancreatic cancer for I don't remember maybe three years. It was a long it was a long haul for that disease because that disease tends to kill you quickly. It may have been less than three. I don't remember. But he was in his last days, and there was one day I walked in there, and there's this, I can't remember the name of the, uh, I think it's a Renaissance painting of St. Francis in ecstasy, but it, it, it looked, it looked, he looked like that. He was so emaciated and, and just, it just, the way he was, I walked in, it was, it reminded me of that medieval, uh, medieval painting. Um, it's, and uh, I got a call from his wife, they were saying, we think this is the end, and, and I, uh, so that was, I don't know when the sequence of this happened, but I was in there another time and um, they had one of these kind of, they were, the hospital's very good to these, to them. So they, you know, his wife was staying there. His son and his daughter were there and uh, his wife actually had been taking a shower in the bathroom and, and, you know, uh, I just walked in and they said, we think this is it. And so the family is uh, around the man and, 
and they're holding his hands and people are crying and they're praying. They were people of faith and we were sitting there and, and his eyes were closed. And, and so this went on for about 20 minutes. His breathing seemed to be slowing down. And then suddenly he woke up or he opened his eyes and goes, I'm sorry. I'm, I've never done this before. I don't think I'm dying yet. <laughs> uh, and he lived a couple more days. We all laughed because he had thought he was dying. But, um, The story of all of us is that even though we're surrounded by it, and many of us maybe even are driven consciously or unconsciously by the fear of death, is that none of us have ever died before. Um, And um, part of part of our Holy Saturday is waiting. You know, we're in that in between time. Um, um, But for me, part of the comfort I take in my faith is that I believe in a God who has died, and because of that. It helps me to stare and look and walk in the midst of um, suffering and death in this world, whether it be on a macro or micro stage. It also allows me to live with my own mortality and and the own my own forces of death and id that work or work in me. Yeah, what I find compelling about von Balthasar's view is it's sort of you know, this traditional idea that the way he reinterprets this idea that like Christ descended into hell is that. A lot of times, the world, you know, the world around us, our, our own lives, can feel like a living hell sometimes. Yeah. And in those moments, we have the consolation that Christ really was too, and that there was something on the other side. Yes. On the willows there, we hung up our Sing the Lord. 